for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi, and joining us for the first time, the Reverend Ben Uladolin. Ben, welcome to the program. How are you? Doing well. Thank you, guys. Good to be with you. Happy to have you. First things first, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you serve, where you're from, anything you'd like the people to know. I'm associate pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Zion's been around since the 1800s. I'm also a campus pastor at Christ the King Lutheran Chapel on the campus of Central Michigan University here in town. So I have kind of a fun balance of your more standard parish work, but also with uh, kind of a heavy campus emphasis as well. I'm from Montana, like Zelwyn, and um, I happily and proudly still have the 406 area code on my cell phone. Yeah, but my um, I'm married to uh, Paige, and we have three children. I have been here in Mount Pleasant for just about five years. Came here straight out of seminary and have been here ever since. Quite uh, happy and thankful to be uh, be right here in Central Michigan. Great. The audience is dying to know how is the weather in Michigan right now. Today, things are all right. It's a bit windy. We've had quite a bit of wind these past couple weeks. The sun's trying to shine, but the wind is making it a little bit cold and bitter. The first couple weeks of lockdown, we just had beautiful weather here, and everyone was out, you know, getting the lawnmowers tuned up and doing garden work, raking leaves, having bonfires, all that. But, you know, that's how spring goes. It it took a took a little bit of a bitter cold kind of turn with the wind and snowflakes, uh, but it's it's trying trying to treat us nice right now, so can't complain too much. Probably better than where Zoe is. Sure, Zoe. <laughs> how's uh, how's Siberia? I'm actually kind of on the windy side, but on the warm side today. So I think we're going to be all right. Although I do have to ask Ben if he's actually seen the sun since his governor has instituted lockdown. <laughs> is it legal to look up? I think it is, but I'm not really sure. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of risking that one. I am I am sticking my head outside. I think that's still okay. Well, for now. <laughs> yeah, for now. That's, that's Don't right. look in anyone's general direction. There you go. That's a hate crime. It's, anyway, it's spread, so, so. It's spread through eyesight yeah. and good. <laughs> it's spread through good intentions. Fun fact: Ben might have been at the protests at the Capitol in Michigan, <laughs> but it's plausible deniability, of uh, course. There we go. Yeah. Well, you know. Wear masks. They want you to. They ask for it. It's handy. (laughs) (laughs) When everyone else was out panic buying toilet paper, I went out and panic bought like peat moss and manure for my garden. So (laughs) smart move. I just panic bought a ghillie suit. So that's (laughs) for Minecraft. In Minecraft. There you go. In Minecraft, Uh, of course. So yeah. Anyway, guys. Illinois weather, it is actually, as we're recording this, rather warm and sunny, very windy, 
and I'm hoping to um, clandestinely sneak over to the Amish town next door and uh, do some uh, garden shopping soon. So we'll see. I think maybe spring has finally sprung here in central Illinois, and we're just waiting to for orders from uh, Governor JB to tell us when we Actually, just to tell us how much longer the lockdown is going to be. I guess I'm not going to be that optimistic. Um, <laughs> so, you know, make the most of it, folks. We know uh, we're making light of it here, but we do know that it's not easy for a lot of people uh, for a number of reasons and certainly not easy for a lot of you who are listening, uh, both here in the United States, which really depends on your state and your city. And, of course, our overseas listeners hope you guys are, are all doing doing well. So we're all in this together, uh, you know, pray to the Lord God Almighty, pray to the Lord of Providence that this passes from us, and that if he chooses to tarry and to keep us under this providence, that we all learn something from it. And that's why we're here today, right, to learn a little bit uh, from the word of the Lord, and our subject is a very popular one, I'm sure, uh, godliness, the subject of godliness. And I, I kind of waffled on this, Ben, I I was half tempted to call this episode Godlessness, uh, just to see if that would attract more listeners. <laughs> attract I don't the, know. Sure, attract right. the Lutheran ears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds very impious. These guys must get the gospel, and <laughs> and you know, so it's it's good to take a break from posting uh, how much toilet paper we have and warring blogs to just uh, talk about what we have here. You know, it, it, in the Bible. Referring to godliness, and it, it's an interesting thing, um, and I do like framing it in this context that we have right now. Because I mentioned the warring blogs, and what I meant by that really is like warring news sites and and, and viewpoints. The internet has created sort of a you know once again another Christian civil war going on, where whereby men are judging everyone based upon their their reactions or inactions regarding this plague. And you know what? If we didn't have the pandemic, it would just be some other crisis uh, where we would be, you know, at each other's throats. But really, guys, at the end of the day, I think the treasury store up in heaven is actually likes, clicks, and reshares. So <laughs> it's really important that we that we keep on that uh, with our with our various news sites, whichever side you're on. Lord's keeping track. All right, guys. But on a serious <laughs> note, you always got to tell them you're joking, Ben. Gotcha. <laughs> In the current year, they never know. Uh, so let's talk a little bit then about godliness. Um, gentlemen, what is a good working definition for godliness? The definition for godliness I want to run with is something like this. Uh, faith in Christ and faithful conduct here in this life. So it's I think of it as kind of a hinge that that unites a variety of things. So you see the the justification and the sanctification there. You see faith and day-to-day life. You see law and gospel, and even you know past, present, and future as well. A few different things come together, I guess, you know, there in godliness. But again, faith in Christ and faithful conduct in this life. I think some synonyms, it's sometimes translated as piety or faithfulness, and I guess some antonyms as well ungodliness, you know, quite obviously, but worldliness or fleshly. I don't know if you yeah. guys want to add anything or chime no, in there No, this is good. These are words that we don't use a lot, right? You know, faithfulness, holiness, piety, piety and holiness especially, very loaded terms for a lot of Lutherans. Zelwyn, why might that be? 
Well, because we seem to have this reaction to those words that, for for whatever reason, they're completely outside of our reach, and therefore any talk about them becomes kind of quasi-legalist at best. You know, I mean, this idea that when you hear the, the Lord say, for example, that you must be holy as I, the Lord, am holy, you know, we kind of have this immediate reaction that, oh, well, I can't do that, so why are we talking about this, you know? This idea that it's it it really just is completely out of out of our grasp as Christians or as sinners, right? Ungodliness uh, we don't hear about. Worldliness is another one that's fallen by the wayside, and fleshly. We don't like worldliness because we do love our worldly things, so so we don't like to bring that word up too much. And then fleshly just gets all kinds of of, of mixed up. And the clever way that people try to get around this is you'll say something like. Well, let's try not to gratify the desires of the flesh. Oh, so you deny you deny the body now? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so it becomes like, what? What are you Greek? Uh, you know, what? What are you Plato? What are you? What are you a Gnostic? What, whatever you want to put in there that sounds smart. Basically, when you talk about these terms, and if you really want to say, well, maybe ungodliness is bad, or worldliness is something to be avoided, or piety and holiness are things that a Christian should strive for or cultivate, they're going to call you a fundy. They're going to call you a fundamentalist or a legalist. Or a pietist. pietist yeah. I was <laughs> waiting for you guys to say it. Usually Zellin beats me to the punch. Uh, ben, with regard to this subject and being a, a campus pastor, uh, how does do you find this uh, particularly applicable to your situation? Yeah, I would say so. And that was part of what, you know, sparked my interest in in this topic. You know, in, in, in any kind of pastoral care, I don't know about you guys, but we want to, it's like we, we want to bring people to a better place than where you found them. I mean, do you guys agree with that? You're not just kind of leaving sure. them wallowing in brokenness and, well, you know, you're, you're forgiven, you know, but just stay broken. But it, it seems like, quite often there is opportunity for us to shepherd people to somewhere better. And so, yeah, you, you can see that in, in campus ministry, working with young people, you know, whether it's someone struggling with you know, something as, as simple or innocent, maybe as, as anxiety or stress, help, help lead them to somewhere more godly, a, a trust in Christ, right? Maybe that's, you want to emphasize that. Or if you get into some of the you know, stickier sins, matters of sexuality, you know, pornography, even homosexuality. Again, we want to shepherd somewhere to a better place than than where we left them. And I think this this uh, this word or this biblical concept of godliness is helpful there because I mean, number one, you have faith in Christ there, saving faith, but then you also have the daily walk of the Christian life. I think parenting as well kind of has set me on this path because, I mean, don't we want to raise our children to be godly? We we homeschool, and our homeschool curriculum for younger children really emphasizes habits and, and virtues, and I've really appreciated it. And it's, you know, it sparked my my interest in in finding maybe more of a biblical basis for some of these habits and some of these virtues. You know, working with a five-year-old, let's let's work on, you know, patience or let's work on truthfulness. And and what does that have to do with your faith in Jesus? You know, what does what does your 
uh, faith in Jesus have to do with your daily Christian walk? It's mm-hmm. very well said. Zellin, what you thinking over there? Well, I mean, when we're dealing with this issue, and I'm kind of thinking about what I had, had hit at a little bit before, you know, we don't want to push back against these kinds of notions as just being moralizing or just being something that's unattainable because of sin. Right. You know, God does, in fact, call us to holiness. And as the book of Hebrews tell us, you know, without holiness, it is impossible to see the Lord. Now, before you start yelling antilegomena, I'll cut you off at the pass. But but when we're dealing with the issue of holiness and dealing with the people that God has created us to be, this is something that it is worthwhile to actually talk about because when we're dealing with righteousness, when we're dealing with sanctification, when we're dealing with what it means to be a Christian practically— I mean, this is this is an emphasis you hear over and over again in the scriptures. Well, let me throw this question out then, because this is what a lot of our listeners are going to hear. With regard to holiness and righteousness, they are going to say that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. Of course. Which we would agree with. Therefore, our own holiness is, is still as filthy rags, and and so our good deeds are for naught, we have no holiness. We cannot have holiness because we are fallen creatures and we merely receive, excuse me, not merely, but we only receive Christ's imputed righteousness. Therefore, anything else is, is just, there's, there's no use. How would you respond to, to that line of thinking? Well, first of all, I would say that being imputed means that it has become yours. I mean, mm-hmm. this isn't yeah. just that Jesus gives us this and we kind of are always alien to it or whatever. You know, he really does give us his own righteousness so that we are now righteous too. You know, I mean, yes, it's imperfect in this life. Yes, it is something that we still struggle with, but that doesn't make it any less ours. You know, God has made us a new creation. Do you think that part of the problem is we often think of this only in juridical terms or in kind of courtroom terms? Well, I have been imputed, or excuse me, I have been declared righteous, ergo I'm righteous. Well, we forget the fact that there is a true renovation that happens within the Christian. Yeah, no, I, I think sure. that's fair. When we're dealing with the, the declaration of righteousness, which is absolutely true, yes, God is saying that you are now righteous because of what Jesus has done, but like you said, he also makes us a new creation. He makes us into something other than what we were before. So it's not just the—I don't even know how to put it. It's not just the the bare act itself, and then there's no more. But he is making us into a holy people, making us into a people, well, that are going to be what he wants us to be in heaven. You know, we're not going to continue in our sins in glory, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I would point, too, to the, the two aspects of the definition I offered at the beginning, faith in Christ— and faithful conduct in this life. So the imputation, the justification, it's right there, faith in Christ. You know, that's that's passive, that's a gift, that's, uh, you know, something given from the outside, something alien. But then there's, you know, as Zelwyn was saying here, there is a some sort of a real, actual holiness or godliness that we should pursue, that we can grow in. And when we get into some of our New Testament passages here, we we see that pretty clearly that you know we are we are directed to train ourselves in righteousness to pursue righteousness i mean dare we even say it be zealous for good works 
you know, that's, that's <laughs> right. in, that, that's in the Bible. I just read that in our, you know, in our intro. So um, I don't know right. if that and, answers it, Willie, but yeah, it does. It does. And as we discuss this, we are going to look at practical examples, what that means. You know, th- there are actual concrete examples of, of, of good works. There are examples of what righteousness and godliness look like. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. There are right and wrong things to do. And it's not only a question of confessing the right things. Right. But, you know, a a right confession will lead to, Lord willing, right action. Because we can confess all the right things. You, You know, any of us can confess correctly the doctrines, any given doctrine, but it can ring hollow if it's not taken to heart. And so the truth of the Scripture does inform every aspect of the Christian's life. I don't think that we can really separate God's revelation from how we carry or how we go about our lives. And, you know, there can't simply be a disconnect between the Sunday divine service and the rest of the week. Well, maybe maybe since this is also in the light of just having come out of Easter and also the reality of the resurrection— I think we have to realize that in light of the resurrection, this is not something that is just a a neat little fact that we celebrate once a year or every Sunday or whatever the case may be. But if Christ, in fact, has been raised from the dead, our lives have been changed. You cannot hear the resurrection. You cannot hear what God has done for you and live the same way. There's there's just no way to, to get around it because... What Jesus has done by rising from the dead and freeing us from sin and freeing us from the, the bondage of sin has set forth a, an entirely new thing. You know, we are living in a, a new age, the, the right. end of days. So. One, could, one could not imagine Paul on the road to Damascus being blinded, going to the straight street, going through everything, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, receiving his eyesight back, and then going, well, got to get back on the road. Got to go back to what I was doing. Got work to do. I got a contract. It's my vocation. What do you want me to do, Jesus? You want me to lose out on this? A lot of shekels here. And so, yeah, one could not imagine that. And of course, nobody does. Nobody would would expect that. And yet, sometimes this is the way we we treat the faith. That good. You've come to this conclusion that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Good for you. That's all you need. Now go on. Do you believe he died for you? Yes. Good. Okay, then we'll see you in the resurrection. We don't. We don't anticipate that. We, when when someone comes to the faith, whether as an infant at the font or later in life, when the Lord brings them in, we do expect some things, right? We 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 in and not in a legalistic way, but in a joyful way. You get to be part of the church. You participate in the life of the church, and now you participate in the Christian life which is going to be wholly different than the world because that's what God has called us to be. It might look similar. You know, we don't, we're not going to all grow Amish beards and, and wear Thrivent t-shirts just so they know, you know, which clan we belong to. But there is a difference. There, there ought to be anyway. There is a marked difference between the Christian in general and the heathen. Since we're using loaded terms now, we still <laughs> yeah, use TLH much. here. So, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, well, I mean, it's just part and, of my vocab. And I'll just trigger everybody maybe as a way of closing this section and say, a quote from James here, you know, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. The point being from James that belief without corresponding action is in fact not 
is not faith at all. Right. And that is James 2.19, by the way. Right. 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 But that's the epistle of straws, Elwin. That's how you're going to close this out? Well, I'm, I'm just quoting all of the <laughs> antilegomena because that's just how I roll today. So. Right. Well, it is the word of God. And with that, we'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken. But he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. Hang tight. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills, here with Zelwyn Heidi and Ben Uledalen, talking about the concept of godliness. Well, we defined everything last segment and got into some more general examples. Well, now let's turn our attention to the scriptures and see what they have to say. Ben, does the Bible say much about this? Yeah, I mean, this word godliness or maybe godly appears in the New Testament, you know, 20 or so times. And you could say that there are parallels in the Old Testament as well. So I think, why don't we just dive into some of those? The, the, the intro verse that I read, Titus 2, verses 11 through 14, I think is really kind of an, an epitomizing verse for this, encompassing both aspects of that definition of godliness as being faith in Christ and faithful conduct in this life. Something that in one sense is passive, but then in another sense, there's some kind of a call for the Christian to pursue it, to grow in it, to get more godly. But, you know, that, that verse, Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So verse 11, you know, kind of that, Outside of you, that, you know, imputation, justification, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. But as we said in the last segment, that grace isn't just, you know, a meme, I guess, you know, it's, it's for real. That grace trains us to renounce ungodliness, to renounce worldly passions. And it goes on to mention, you know, living self-controlled, upright and godly lives here and now in this present age waiting for our blessed hope. So when I talked about this being a hinge kind of uniting past, present, and future, that's that's what it is right there. So in the past, you know, Christ died for your sins. In the past, you came to faith. But here and now, how do you live that life? And here and now, today, how do you live that life in light of the life to come? I think Zelwyn said something about um, the Lord moving us or, or changing us so that we look more and more like we will look, you know, later on in heaven. 
we see it right there. But, you know, if someone wants to argue that godliness is really just a passive matter, it's really just a matter of imputation, I don't really know how you can get around that word uh, in verse 12, training, you know, that godliness trains us. You think about an athlete or, you know, a wrestler or a weightlifter or something, right? There's there's some growth there. There's some pain. Sometimes in an attempt to signal the idea of salvation being passive, which is it is, but, uh, or, you know, being the work of God, we, we men can fall into this trap of absurdity, whereby they become what they accuse the Calvinists of being. Right. Robots. The Calvinist turns everyone into robots. Well, well, what are you? Are you like an old Volkswagen just waiting for somebody to come fill up your gas tank? <laughs> I mean, you may be even worse than a robot. At least robots move. Uh, you're inanimate. And so, like, for example, okay, what gives us forgiveness and grace? You know, let's just say what enables us to go on spiritually. We would say the means of grace, right? The word of God and the sacraments. So receiving the Lord's Supper is a good thing, and it does great things. But guess what? You're not entirely passive. Yes, you receive it, but guess what? You get up, maybe you brush your teeth, maybe you get in your car, you go to church, you participate, you eat and you drink, you do actively receive these things. So, you know, do you see what I'm saying here? We can turn this around if we want to and and simply say, well, uh, you know, okay, then if we're going to do that, well, is it 100% dependent upon you? Well, of course not. This isn't an, uh, a work that you do, but it's also not passive in the sense that, in, in one sense, that you don't actually come and take, that you don't actually, you, you can only receive these things in certain places. So why do you go and receive these things? Well, because one, God has enlivened you, but two, because you know as a Christian that you need these things. Now I could be off base here, Zellan, if you want to, or Ben, if you want to correct me here. No, I, I think I think you're on to something. And when we're dealing with uh, this overreaction and this kind of hyper passive attitude that some people sometimes take with regard to holiness, you know, we do want to be careful and to actually present this as the Bible actually presents it. And I think one of the things that's interesting within this Titus passage that you've been pointing out here, Ben, is also that first uh, verb on, in verse 13, which is, you know, waiting, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, holiness is not simply a matter of what we are doing. It is actually an anticipation. You know, it is looking forward to being like Christ, it is looking forward to the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And for that reason, holiness is an act of worship as well. Yeah, and that waiting is waiting and being faithful in our lives. So being faithful while we wait. It's We're not the Millerites. We don't sell all that we have, quit our jobs. Although why they sold their possessions, I'll never know. But <laughs> sell all your possessions and go sit on your rooftop or on a hilltop and wait for Jesus to come back. That's not the biblical kind of waiting we're talking about here. For those of you who don't know, the Millerites sold all that they had and just went and waited for the rapture to come. And then it didn't. And then they adjusted the date, and then, and then it didn't again. And then the great disappointment happened, but go right. on. Imagine being so disappointed that the history <laughs> books recorded as the great disappointment. <laughs> no, it, it, is, it is good. It is good stuff here. So yeah, And, and here's the thing, guys. We... We've become 
so reductionist in the way we view theology because that is how we communicate. It's like a Twitter kind of of theology that's no good. So everything has to be so many characters. It has to be pithy and, 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 and seemingly clever. But you're not that clever. And you're not more clever than the Word of God. And the Word of God isn't really seeking to tickle ears or anything like that. This is just simply what it says. And, and so we have to take it for what it says. Regardless of what some guru says or, or some meme says. Unless it's a good meme. If it's a godly <laughs> meme, there you go. All right, Ben, where should we go from here? Let's move to 1 Timothy. It's interesting, too, that there's a lot of these passages about godliness in the pastoral epistles. I, I think at one time I was, I was a little shocked just by how direct, you know, St. Paul or the Holy Spirit are in the pastoral epistles. You know, tell this sort of person to live this way. Tell, you know, women to, you know, be faithful servants at home. Tell men to act this way. Tell young men to act this way. The law is preached here in, in a much more direct way than we often do. I, I know certainly, um, you know, I condemn myself with that. But yeah, you know, Timothy and Titus, First and Second Timothy and Titus, we have some very specific directions as to how Christians are to, number one, believe, but then number two, how we are to act. So the next verse I want to take us to is First Timothy 2, verse, uh, I guess, verses 1 and 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So here we're, I guess here we're bringing in another aspect as well, you know, the role of secular governments and how they, I guess, how they serve the gospel in a certain sense, right? maintaining order so that we can live quiet lives if we're kind of living in a book of judges kind of situation where you know it's the wild west out there and uh, you know post-apocalyptic <laughs> right. kind of world everyone's doing what's right in his own eyes um, you know and we've been talking about justinian a lot for the other for the opposite end of that spectrum we've been talking sure. about justinian a bit um, on the podcast recently yeah you know it's a nice tie in there a nice foil for that you know if you're living in a collapse type situation, how much of a godly life are you going to be able to live when you're having to, you know, quote unquote, having to lie, cheat and steal just to survive, right? So here we're urged to pray for kings and those in high positions that we might lead a quiet life and that life might be godly and dignified. I think that the use of that word there, and I'll, I'll have Willie note here that he's reading from the inspired English standard version. <laughs> But we'll give you a pass this time. <laughs> <laughs> but that word used in verse two of dignified, I think, is a very interesting one. What is it in the King James, Willie? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Yeah, honesty. Yeah, honest, dignified. I mean, the, the word is, is the same there. And I think it's very interesting because when we are leading lives of dignity or leading lives of honesty, you know, that calls to mind certain kinds of actions, that calls to mind a certain way of living, you know, just living lives that would even even an unbeliever would have to say is upright and moral. You know, how how often do we do that as Christians, you know, or do we or do we devolve into these contests to see, you know, who can be, you know, have the, the most, I don't know, alcohol piercings, tattoos, like yeah, right, you know, because 
uh, the freedom of the gospel. You know, it's just it's just not what we're called to be. Yeah, uh, this this theologian come provocateur is is a strange phenomenon to me. You know, the 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 gospel can can scandalize people, and that's enough. You don't have to do it yourself. And it's really kind of funny that we try to become edgy, and and it's twofold. One, they want to appear cool to the culture, and two, they kind of want to rebel against their upbringing a little bit. Neither one of it's neither one's a great idea, and it's it's just this in, it's this incessant need for progressive edginess or or cultural aping that I don't know I don't get it. Maybe I'm just not a fashionista. That's my problem. I'm not cool. I'd wear uh, jeans, jean shirt, and a jean jacket all day, every day, if I could. <laughs> but not a denim clerical. Don't worry. Don't worry, folks. <laughs> and you'll take your cha out before you go into the service. So. <laughs> right. Well, maybe. It depends on if I need to pick me up. But certainly before I start using the chalice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> No, I, I, I think I think your point here is also well made, Ben, that um when we're dealing with, you know, supplications, prayers, intercessions for all people, and especially for those who are in authority over us, you know, holiness is also outwardly directed. It's not just an inward right. focus either. And that, that word honesty from the KJV, honest honest to the gospel, honest to what we believe in our heart, right? It's not just a dead faith, not just the faith of the demons that you quoted earlier, but yeah, a, um, a life which is honest, consistent, I guess, with the doctrine that we believe. Yeah, you know, and honesty, uh, once again, authorized version proving itself superior. Um, but no, I mean, think about this too. When we cultivate an image that is intentionally meant to not look Christian, whatever that means, right? But that's intentionally meant to look like something else. That is a form of dishonesty in its own way. It's acting. Well, what's the Greek for, you know, what word do we derive for the Greek term for actor? Hypocrite. Yeah, there we go. So there is a subtle kind of hypocrisy in some ways when not just our worship is 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 tailor-made to look like this, but our actual lives and conduct. And it's not merely to focus on externals, but that is one way in which we do it. I'm going to look like this. I'm going to adopt this image in order to, what would we say, attract a certain kind of people. So I'm going to like put on a leather jacket and brill cream my hair so that I can attract greasers or whatever. <laughs> Did anybody ever try that? Don't get any ideas. Or do, you know, or do whatever so I can attract punks or, or something like that. What about attracting normal people? Right. How do you... <laughs> Uh-oh, he said normal. Right. <laughs> yeah, how do we do that? Well, you know, maybe maybe that's maybe that's too outdated. Bill Hybels tried that, I guess. Yeah, what about just, you know, being uh, authentic and <laughs> attracting folks and you know, go with that. But we're always about the the edge groups, right? The fringe groups. They're so romanticized. Nobody cares about the big mass of people in the middle. Not that exciting, you know, mm -hmm. to get Tim and Susie Jones or whomever in there. <laughs> well, Ben, the New Testament certainly has a whole lot uh, to say about this, but let's dust off the other tome and take a look at the Old Testament. Does sure. it have anything to say? Yeah, I think so. One of you guys brought in already the word holiness. You know, you see that in various places in the Pentateuch, right? 
be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy just all over the place. I'm reminded of the Exodus and the Passover when the Lord sent Moses to free his people, Israel. What was the purpose of that freedom? Was it the freedom to be a couch potato? Was it the freedom to binge watch Netflix? What, what was it? Any, you know, um, it was let my people go that they may worship me. Right. And then eventually part of the promised land settling down in that promised land was so that Israel could be God's own special set apart people so that they could, you know, live in such a way that was consistent with their faith. So, I mean, the the Exodus, Israel and the promised land, I would say too, just the entire book of Psalms and the entire book of Proverbs you, you read through there, how many times do you hear about the wicked man coming to, you know, an abrupt end? How many times do you hear that the the wicked fall into the traps that they have set for the righteous? You know, how many times do you hear that the Lord blesses the righteous man and even blesses his children? Things like that. But to get even more specific, I guess I'd say, let's look at Psalm 1, which is the very first psalm there. You know, and I guess we don't really have to read the entire psalm unless Willie wants to do it in the KJV, which I think would be really aesthetically pleasing. (laughs) You know, um, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man who delights in in hearing the Lord's word, who delights in doing the Lord's word. Yeah. And, And this idea, too, of him, you know, being like a tree yielding its fruit and is prospering and that the wicked ultimately come to an unprosperous end, which, of course, is you hear some of the Psalms talking about, you know, why do the wicked prosper, O Lord? But that's talking about a worldly kind of earthly kind of prospering, you know, the, the, the riches and the, the, and the things of this world. Whereas the, the godly man, the one who is walking in holiness, walking in righteousness, is walking in a way that ultimately comes to life and is therefore fruitful and profitable in a way that the way of the world is never going to be. Yeah, totally. And one of the New Testament verses we didn't get to talked about godliness having great promise, not only for the life to come, but also for this life. And right. I think what what you highlighted there, Zoe, when that that's... That's the same idea here. You know, mm-hmm. it, we're, we're not merely talking about heaven. We're not merely talking about the life to come, but we're also talking about this, you know, this life here and now. The godly man will be like that tree yielding fruit in its season. Well, and also like when you're dealing with the Proverbs, for example, which you alluded to and talking about the way of life versus the way of death or what Christ calls the narrow way versus the, the wide way narrow leading to life, wide leading to destruction. I mean, this is, the, the the idea is couched in all kinds of different terms within the scriptures, but the idea is ultimately the same, that there is this either orness to godliness. You know, there is the way of life or the way of death. There's not kind of a third way in, somewhere in, in sure. between, you know, which is, I think, sometimes what we try to strike for, you know, misquoting Solomon of being being not over over righteous and thinking that oh that means I can do whatever I want well that's that wasn't his point his point is dealing with you know seeking the way of God above all things so that ultimately whatever we suffer in this life whatever we struggle with in this life God's purposes will will produce good fruit within our lives yeah exactly and it's you know it's not to say that we're we're going to have no struggles or no problems in our life, but it is to say that 
things are going to go far better for you if you you know not only believe in Jesus for salvation but also if you live a godly moral and upright life in this present age you know no guarantee that it'll go perfect but things will go much better than if you didn't well i mean yeah at least at a very practical level you know avoid certain activities and you'll probably be better off i mean even at that very base level which we're afraid to say don't abuse your bodies and don't abuse other people and it actually you'll find yourself at least healthier physically if not even psychologically mentally and certainly spiritually it, you know it's kind of like reading the levitical laws and seeing that hygienically they make a lot of sense don't uh, eat bats <laughs> right <laughs> wash your hands don't eat bats don't touch lepers it's just pretty solid science really and <laughs> and but we're afraid of that we're afraid of that for for any number of reasons and again as as ben has said uh, several times throughout this this is not something that we've mastered and we're not haughtily standing over people by any means and yet stumbling does not does not mean that you just lay on the ground and give up you know we press on that we might win that we might win the prize that we might win the crown as it were and and so the, this is the whole point the the christian life is a walk and jesus christ is the way and we follow on his narrow way as we can understanding that we are, when we fall you know he he picks us up. And you know what? He even stops us from stumbling and falling as well. You don't always fall flat in your face. And oftentimes that's because God has enabled you to to stay strong in the midst of that. And so we would pray for strength, wouldn't we? In these cases, we would pray for the things that we're talking about, knowing that it's God who gives the increase. But anyway, guys, we're at the end of the second segment, so we'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. The mission of Word Fitly Spoken is to put the Word of God at the center of all of life. To find out more, check us out at wordfitlyspoken.org. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Word Fitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi and Ben Uladalin talking about godliness. Well, we went through uh, some biblical passages, really laid down the groundwork here. So now I'm just going to throw this question out at you, Ben or Zellin, whoever wants to take this hot potato. Can or even should the Christian grow in godliness? I think looking back at the definition we're working with of godliness being faith in Christ and faithful conduct in this life. Can you grow in faith? I don't know. Do we really talk that way? Does the Bible, is that a thing? I, I don't know. Do we grow in it, faith? Well, the Bible certainly uses that language, you know, increase our faith. 
And Jesus doesn't say, uh-uh, you know, we d- you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're told, yeah, yeah, what kind of, exactly, what kind of happens is we overreact to the Pentecostal notion of a quantitative nature of faith, which says if you had enough faith, you could have got your, you know, big bonus or blow away the coronavirus or get a good parking space. But there is a, there is the biblical language that speaks of faith increasing. So we have to deal with that. I mean, you can't just ignore it and go, well, that just sounds Pentecostal or something, so I'm I'm out. Yeah, and then in, uh, on that second side, the, you know, growing in godliness in this life, I, I think we've, we've seen that already in these New Testament passages. Train yourself for godliness. Pursue godliness. Th- those sorts of things definitely seems like there is a growth there. You know, make every effort to supplement, you know, your faith with these other you know, ways that godliness is actually lived out here right. in this life. So I, I think that growth certainly happens. And dare I even say it's something that we ought to pursue. I think I think scripture's pretty clear there that we should reject ungodliness. We should reject unworldliness. Yeah. Or excuse me, we should reject worldliness and we yeah, should I mean, and, and yeah, I mean like citing Second Peter there is really good. I mean besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and et cetera. Or as as Peter also was saying, you know, make your calling and election sure. Yeah. You know, then I, I just brought election into this, but go right. on. Well, for it is God <laughs> who is willing to, you know. <laughs> we always have easy outs for these. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the the idea that we are, in fact, growing in godliness, like, like you guys are saying, is a biblical one. And it's one that we should be pursuing. Because if we're not striving to be more like God... Then what are we doing? And yeah. I kind of mean I kind of mean that as a real question. You know, what are we doing yeah. if we're not trying to be more and more like God? Right. If you're not a slave to Jesus Christ, you're going to be a slave to something or someone else. You know, your passions, the devil, your belly, yeah. right? I mean, if we aren't trying to be like God, I mean, yeah, what do you do with Psalm 82 and things like that? It's yeah, you're either going to be slaves to Christ or slaves to the passions, like you said, slave to the devil, slave to sin. Which way, Christian man? <laughs> but the Bible's all well and good, Ben. But is there any Lutheran precedent here for what we're saying? Um, I think the <laughs> <laughs> the formula of Concord, Article Six, on the third use of the law, is pretty helpful here. Uh, now, do you guys, on a word fitly spoken, do you guys subscribe quia to? Article six of the formula that there is a third use of the law. <laughs> Ben's putting us on the spot here. No, not everyone does, but that's been my impression from you know my my years of listening that you guys do affirm that there is a third use of the law and it is good. Well, I I think this whole episode kind of answers your question. So, right. But yeah, so you know the formula Article six talks about the the third use of the law. You know the first use. Its job is to curb um, outward, you know, gross outbursts of ungodliness out in the world. The second use of the law, that that theological use, showing the Christian his sin and his need for a savior. And then this third use, that after a man has been born again, while the sinful flesh still cleaves to him, nonetheless, he has this, you know, new man um, who is who we would argue here is a real, you know, new man who has new desires, who has a new will. This would be the new man of, you know, Psalms 1 and 119, right? The the new man who delights 
to do God's will and who wants to do better. And, and so for, for the new man, there's this third use of the law acting, you know, as we would say in confirmation class, acting as a guide, showing the Christian a better way, showing the Christian a, a better path. But I, I don't know if you guys want to jump in there with anything on, on that, on those uses of the law. But I think that's where I wanted to, you know, take us there. But what the formula tells us is that renewal is not complete in this life. We do still have that old Adam clinging to us. I think Willie ended the last segment kind of talking a bit about that. You know, it's not that we're up here high on our horses saying that we're godly and all of you guys out there listening are not. Far from it. You know, we're not saying that we can attain complete perfection in this life at all. But we confess, along with our Lutheran confessions, that our renewal is not perfect. And so we need the law. We need the third use of the law. We need God's law to show us, you know, our continued need for grace, our continued need for forgiveness. And then also, I suppose, protecting us from that false alternative of maybe pietism or some sort of a, you know, Pentecostal holiness. The law also reminds the Christian that his works are imperfect in this life. The law, we we still need that law to be reminded of our continued need for forgiveness. So godliness is not just about me and my efforts and my strivings, but it's about the fact that I have been forgiven in Christ. I've been given this new will. And I've been given, you know, a better place to go, I guess, better things to do with my life. But even so, I am still a sinner. Even so, my works are still pleasing to God on account of Christ and on account of, you know, his death for me. It's not that I'm all of a sudden earning my salvation. It's not all of a sudden that, I don't know, my works are somehow earning, you know, merit or or blessing from God. But rather, it's more of, Again, that Psalm 1 kind of picture, that Psalm 119 picture. I delight to do God's will. I enjoy it. I want to do it, you know, more and more. Well put. Where, where do you want to go from there, Willie? No, I think it's very good. Uh, we, see, we do see that it is, it is the confessional position. And, right. And so, again, this is where the formula is particularly good because it does belabor points. And this is going back to what we are saying earlier, that... Twitter theology is just not that good. It's it's like any any kind of theology worth reading is going to be, it takes the long way around to make its argument, to make its position. So that's why uh, you can't do uh, Twitter-style patristics, really, or, for example, or something like that. So the confessional position says this. Some people seeking to avoid clearly what the confessions say and clearly what the scriptures say, for whatever reason— for whatever motivation, some of them wholesome, some of them at least well-intentioned, have jettisoned a big chunk of the Bible and jettisoned any notion of a fully-orbed Christian theology, a fully-orbed Christian anthropology, if we can even say that. Uh, it has reduced it to merely a, a juridical thumbs-up, and that's what we want to avoid. Because if we deny what the formula says here, and certainly if we deny what the scripture says about this, we are, in a sense, denying what the gospel is. If, is the gospel a declaration of righteousness based upon Christ's work? Yes, but the other part of the gospel is that we are going to be made whole. And part of that 
is the life here and now whereby God is sometimes dragging us along, right? And it is part of that struggle. But the new man delights in the things of God and yearns to be with God. And so that's what the war against the flesh is about. It's not about getting enough merits in one box as people. I mean, this is what we're always talking about, right? People think they're going to merit stuff. I don't think people even think that way anymore. I think people think, eh, God's cool. Right. So it doesn't really matter what I do or don't do. I would actually like to see a real honest legalist. I mean, really what you find is people are saying, well, I've done enough good. And deep down what they really mean is, I think God will give me a mulligan. So yeah, it's legalistic, but really it's just hoping in, hoping in, 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 in some kind of mercy apart from Christ. Presuming on God's mercy, as it were. Yeah, there we go, and and so yeah, so we we come up with this this I we come up with a Christianity that has no grit, a Christianity that has no skin in the game, right? And 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 Christ calls us out of the world. Christ calls us to come die with Him, but Christ also calls us. Then, what does that mean to die to 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 live in Christ is to die to the world, and so it being later than we think, we we really ought to ponder some of these things that God is not only declaring you righteous, but he makes you righteous and makes you continually is molding you more in, in his image. And that is a good thing. And that is one of the gospel promises. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't shy away from that. Yeah. And that, you know, that molding, you know, the, the Potter language, right? Willie as a good Calvinist is, is bringing in the divine Potter. (laughs) That's a pain. That could be a painful process, right? He's, you know, he's using pressure, right? He's bending you in a way you might not necessarily want to go. So there's kind of a there's kind of a rough and tumble real life kind of thing going on here through yeah. the bump, bumps and bruises of real life. We are, you know, bearing the cross in a very concrete, very incarnational way. Right. That that cross looks like, you know, living in community with, you know, with your family or your coworkers or your right. literal and, neighbors. And this is one of the this is one of the funny things about this subject and this is where I, how I why I think we're on the right track here is that if you pick up in the middle of this Somebody's going to say, well, you sound like an Arminian synergist. You pick up at another part, these guys sound like some kind of hardcore Calvinists. What is this? Yeah, we're living in that tension that the Scripture gives, that God is the potter, but that we are actual creatures made by Him and illumined by Him. And that actually means something. And so, yeah, you are a person of agency, whether you, like, whether you want to believe that or not. You're not a marionette, and God doesn't want you to be. But God gives you the life and the ability to to do these things uh, by His grace and always by His grace. You know, never never presume any merit or worthiness on our part. But please assume that we do have a heart that beats within us. That would be a good thing. Well, we talked a little bit about concrete examples. You just mentioned them here. Let's pivot a little bit away from the formula now and just talk about pastoral care in light of this subject. How do we how do we rightly teach on this? How do we rightly guide the sheep in this subject? You know, looking at one of those antonyms, worldliness, I think worldliness is one of our greatest enemies. I think that ties in, Willie, to what you said about nobody fears God anymore. Um, Where do people get their ideas about God? Where do people get their ideas about how to live your life? Where do they get their ideas about morality? I mean, is it from the scriptures or I don't know, is it from is it from Disney or something, right? I, I feel like more often than not, people, even, you know, even Christians in this in the current year, 
the way that they think, the way that they feel, the way that they look at the world is so much more molded by pop culture, you know, by Disney, by Netflix, by various, you know, modern cliches about individualism and pursuing your happiness and, you know, living for yourself, those sorts of things. Your truth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, following following your truth. Uh, just just look at the story arc of you know any any Disney movie out there, and you're going to find some very you know anti Christian ideas. And it's not anti Christian in the sense that it's all about sex necessarily, or all you know full of violence or swear words. You know, it doesn't have that. But anti Christian in the sense where it's saying the point of life is just to live. For yourself, right? You know, think about the the Frozen theme song, right? Just throw everything out the window, let it all go, right? Don't be bound by anything outside of yourself, right? Don't be bound by family. Don't be bound by you know tradition or common sense or or by even you know by God Himself or by the morality that God imposes upon us. Let it all go. Be yourself. Follow your inner voice, right? So I think then to answer your question, getting to that that source of what people think about the world and 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 getting people to question where do i get my ideas about god where do i get my ideas about life am i getting them from the bible from god's holy word from god himself or am i getting them from some other source which tells me to you know live for myself live for the moment i don't mean i'm not going to try to harp on frozen or any particular bit of media and entertainment has its place, of course. One of the things I've never understood was the propriety of like sermon series on movies. And you're seeing <laughs> that more and more. I, I don't get it. And, you know, I remember even in college, guys preaching like that or preaching on um, like children's books or something, you know, not, not actually using scriptural texts. And these same guys, it w- you know, you would say, well, hey, have you read like what uh, Augustine or what Chrysostom says about this? Psh- why would I read that? I got the Bible. Anyway, here's my theory. Here's my series on Infinity War. And I, <laughs> I understand that they are trying to capture people's attention with things that people already love. Okay? I get why they do it. It's the propriety of it. Do these films... Okay, let's say you're going to exegete a movie. Does it actually have right scriptural themes? And this is kind of the thing when it comes to any kind of art or preaching from things that aren't the scripture. You can kind of twist any theme you want to. But I do, I'm do. i a big believer in authorial intent. And d- did the people who wrote Frozen really have the Bible's central message at heart, for example? Or or the guys who wrote Black Panther or or whatever? I don't know why I'm picking on those. I'm picking on Marvel and Disney, but one, it's the same thing now, right? And I know that the argument's going to be, well... God's image is so imprinted on people that biblical themes can't help but come out in art. And so again, we go back to this theme we come to of just making any excuse for anything. You know, it is worth looking at. Can you watch Frozen as a piece of entertainment? Yeah. Sure. But, okay, do you need every piece of merchandise? Do you need constantly to drill these songs into into, into children's heads, for example, that may or may not be saying something that isn't important? I'm glad you clarified that because my point isn't, okay, you know, you've watched Frozen, you're you're doomed, you're going to hell. But my point is, do our ideas about life, 
when you when you're raised on just a constant diet of of Disney, of TV, of movies, and you have more of that in your diet than you have of the Word of God, you know which one is going to form your conception of the point of life, you know, and and if it's if it's the entertainment, if it's some of these modern sources, you're going to think that the point of life is just to live your own happiness. And then that, and then you, that sets you up for problems down the road, right? Well, pastor, why can't I, you know, marry someone of the same sex? Why can't I have X, Y, or Z song at my wedding? You know, yeah, and- why can't I live with somebody? It's all about my happiness, right? It, don't impose right, right. anything on me from yeah. the outside. Modern, modern media too is, is much more on the nose with this and much right. worse. Like, like you could watch old yeller and get some really good, if not hard life lessons. <laughs> and maybe we should watch Old Yeller again. You could watch Swiss Family Robinson get the wrong idea that monkey butlers are feasible. Let me tell you, from experience, not a good idea. Don't hire them. Not worth the money. But <laughs> everything more and more, you just have to be really discerning in what you what we watch and what we what we imbibe, because suddenly we can we can take cues in from from the world, and totally unaware until it's too late. Until we've until we're the ELCA or something. Well, and and we should also be clear on this too that this isn't a problem unique to our age. This has always been a struggle for Christians. I do think that our you know our particular issues have been accelerated in a way that is kind of unprecedented. But you know, in the days of Swiss Family Robinson being written by a pastor, there was also I don't know Tom Jones um, and the salaciousness of that being written at the same time. So you know it's. It is it is something that we have struggled with as as the church throughout history. This idea mm-hmm. that, you know, to be in the world but not of it and what does that look like and where are we taking our ideas from? But even more in our age when we are dealing with a mass media which is pervasive in a way that has not been the case before and which affects every aspect of our lives. I mean, for crying out loud, they show video at gas station pumps. Yeah, that's right. And you can't mute it. You can't mute it either. (laughs) All I'm saying is that They Live was a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's an official word fitly position, so. Right, that we subscribe quia to that theory. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, we, we just have to be careful is all I'm saying, so. Well, guys, we're coming up on the end of the program. Ben, do you have any final words for us? I really don't think so. I think that touches everything there. But uh, thanks for having me on. I look forward to you know joining you for more episodes, uh, Lord willing. Yeah, absolutely. It's been the pleasure's all on our end. Ben, thank you so much. Well, this has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out, wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi and Ben Uledalen. God love you and God bless. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, 
and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, we will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.